On this very long overdue episode of the Vincast, I chat with Gary Walsh from The Winefront. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Vincast. My name is James Gersbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, a long time between drinks, shall we say. Um, my sincerest apologies. Uh, life has certainly gotten the way over the past almost 12 months. Um, so just to explain, um, the, the podcast is basically me. Uh, you know, I do everything uh, for it. And uh, unfortunately, being that my full-time job was made redundant at the beginning of the COVID outbreak here in Australia and me needing to provide an income to support my family, which uh, which grew um, in June of 2020 uh, by one, I uh, I had to focus on... Um, the, the the things that I could do that would provide me an income. And um, regretfully, the podcast is not one of those. As much as I loved doing the podcast and chatting with people and, and finding out their stories, which is what I'm all about, you know, I'm, I, I think of myself as a storyteller and I love sharing people's stories. The reality is that the podcast was not generating me any income. So I had to focus on other avenues, the main one being uh, my my wine brand, and uh, in 2021, you know that has uh, taken up much of my focus outside of my family, of course, and I uh, I've grown it significantly for this year. So that has kind of come at the expense of being able to do the podcast. So the 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 fact is that I haven't actually recorded any new episodes since uh, September 2020, but I've been sitting on a couple of episodes that I was kind of. Um, hoping to release once I had decided what I was going to do. And, um, and you know, I was hoping to be able to bring the podcast back on a regular basis, uh, hoping to find the time to sit down with uh, people either, you know, in real life or via uh, Zoom or however, you know, you, we could do it. Um, but yeah, the, the fact is I, I, I really don't have enough time to do that with two young boys under five uh, and uh, a business that uh, is growing this year. But I've decided to release the episodes anyway and um, just, I guess, see what people's um, feedback is. I, I have had people kind of reaching out saying how much they miss the podcast and wondering why there haven't been any new episodes. But um, I really don't know what the future of the Vincast is. I, I had some ideas about how it could evolve. Um, but yeah, like I say, the, the fact is that um, the podcast doesn't generate any income. I would love to find a way where I could have both the time and the ability to um, uh, make um, some money from the show. Uh, but at the moment, that's not really possible. And look, the, you know, we are in a, a very different um, state at the moment. Um, I, I don't mean I haven't moved state. I still live in Melbourne, but you know, 
um, COVID has certainly changed a lot of things. And, um, you know, it is hard to kind of, um, I guess, make a crust. Um, there's sort of no, uh, there is a limited ability to plan things in advance. Um, you, you know, it, I, can't, I can't even travel into state to visit wine regions or, or customers um, because you never know when we might be in some sort of lockdown or someone interstate might be in lockdown. So I don't know. Um, I do miss obviously chatting with wine people and that's obviously been a huge change to the way we, um, we, we do our business, um, you know, in the last 18 months. But, um, look, I, I didn't want to kind of keep sitting on these episodes. Uh, so I decided to finally release them. Um, so on, on this episode, of course, I did record this back when uh, Melbourne was in its second lockdown. It's now in its fifth lockdown. And the person I spoke to was in Sydney at the time. They didn't have lockdown. They now have a, uh, a pretty serious lockdown going on. So I thought... Now would be the time to release it. Um, Gary Walsh is one now one quarter, I guess, of the, of the wine front, Australia's uh, preeminent uh, and arguably most important online forum for um, wine review and wine communication. Uh, and he was one of the founding people. Uh, I already interviewed uh, the other founding member, Campbell Mattinson, uh, so I was excited to chat with Gary about his own background and, and what kind of he brought uh, and continues to bring to the wine front. Uh, and it was really great to chat with him. Um, again, s- sincere apologies for taking so long to release it. Um, I just, uh, I, I guess I, I couldn't sit around and wait for it any longer. So uh, I hope you enjoy this chat that I had with Gary last year uh, and I'll see you on the other side. Gary, thank you for joining me um, up in hopefully sunny Sydney uh, and Very making sunny. some time to be on the Vincast. Uh, it's been a little while coming. Uh, I'm thrilled. Well, I'm, I'm not thrilled about the fact that, you know, we, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're on lockdown. But uh, like I've said a couple of times recently, ha- it has its unintended benefits, which is um, we're a bit more available to, to catch up. And thankfully, we have this technology uh, to chat. So um, thank you very much for it. being here. A bit of a, a peak in audience as well with people. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. It's funny though, like people have got in contact with me in the past sort of saying where they listen to the podcast. Sometimes right. people listen to it like, you know, in their car or on the, on public transport or something like that, which is potentially happening a lot less. But there's still plenty of people. Even um, recently I had Dave Bicknell, um, as a guest and he said oh, you know I can't believe it's taken you this long to, to have me on you know I, I, I love listening to the show so you're probably I'm out in the vineyard well yeah there's that too but that's 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 the, again that's the beauty of recording via zoom I'm not you know in the same room as them so you know there's there's less worry about saying the wrong thing oh. um, I uh, as you might know start every episode asking my guests if they can recall if there was a particular uh, incident in their lives that um, maybe had them think about wine in a different way, which potentially led them on a pathway to sort of dedicating their, their lives, let's say, to wine. 
one of my um, best friends when we were growing up, his, his dad had a pretty good cellar. It was all um, drilled into a big sandstone wall and there was lots of classic Australian wines in there. Um, and we were only, you know, we'd have been like 15 or, or so when this was happening. But he also had, because a, 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 he was German, a bunch of ice vine. And of course, being, you know, a young kid, you, you tend to gravitate towards cider and UDLs and sweeter things. But we knew this ice wine was um, quite sweet. But his dad had firmly warned us that if you drink it before 20 years of age, it can be potentially poisonous. <laughs> That's <laughs> not a bad boy. incredibly thick. But we whipped a couple anyway and drank them in the park. And um, that, that was sort of a, a, an early introduction um, to wine on my part. And we weren't sick, but we were just had a fairly significant sugar rush, I reckon. Yeah, that's, so, always, that, and that's kind of always the danger of um, getting stuck into those really sugary alcoholic drinks. Uh, and it was even worse when I started doing it with energy drinks as well, that uh, it made you feel that much worse, the alcohol on its own. And we also bad enough. have some um, um, red wines at the dinner table and um, we're a sort of an English family and my father didn't drink much, but he liked a bit of wine at the table. So even as, even as sort of kids and teenagers, we, we were allowed to have a small glass of wine when we went out or at dinner or whatever else. And um, my dad used to buy um, cases from, um, this is when we emigrated, from uh, Huntington Estate in Mudgee. Um, back in the day. So we'd have some of those old mudgy Cabernets and Shirazes with quite a bit of bottle age. So that, that got me interested in, in some sort of aged wines and, and those sort of things. So I probably started younger than is um, considered normal, but... Well, like I've it. said before, you know, the statute of limitations has long since passed. So, uh, you know, I don't think anyone's going to get into trouble for that. But no, look... It, 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 you'd be surprised how many of the, of the guests actually say that, you know, oh, I was actually, when I was a kid, you know, we snuck a bit of um, Sauterne or something like that, or, you know, oh, like, I mean, it's very European, Mediterranean mm. to, to, you know, when you are, uh, uh, let's say, an adolescent or a teenager. Yeah, and then, and then you know, wine. I sort of cut my teeth on things like, um, you know, sort of 87 and 91 Mount Pleasant Philip and the old Chateau to Bilks and things when we went out because those wines were still relatively inexpensive back in the day. So this is in the in the late 80s, early 90s. And I, and I still specifically remember those sort of 87 and 91 um, Mount Pleasant Rose Hills, which really struck a chord with me. And um, I bought tons of those wines, um, even, even at sort of like... A, uh, 19, 20, 21 sort of thing, you know, so, yeah. So were you born in Australia? No, I was born in England, um, came here as a boy, and then um, went back to England for five or six years in the 90s, and then came back again. So that was after you finished school, sort of, uni? No, I went, I went to school uh, in England, and also I went to high school here. Yeah, right, okay. Um, yeah. um, Anglo-Australian, or Australian-Anglo. <laughs> was it uh interesting was it different you know having spent part of your childhood in australia than back in in uh in the uk well the, the good bit about uk is that I, I developed a bit of a taste for wine and then you go into sort of your odd bins or those sort of bottle shops and back in the day in australia in the early 80s and 90s 
there was bugger all there that wasn't Australian wine, you know, there was, there was, it was scant, you know, you look at the scene today where imported wine, this is a very large part of it and, and you see plenty in shops, but back then, Australian wine was the be all and end all. So I'd walk into an odd bins or a thresher or whatever else in England, and I'd see everything not by grape variety, but by region. So, you know, I'd, I'd knock off the, the, don't tell anyone, a bit of Burgundy, and then, um, but mainly a lot of Bordeaux and other things. So I'd, you know, go home from work and get um, chips and gravy and mushy peas and get a bottle of claret on the way home and have that. But, you know, there, there was so much learning in those five or six years in the UK to, uh, and exposure to other wines that we just weren't familiar with unless you were at a certain you know level in Australia you, you didn't come across imports yeah of course um so there. We, younger people don't kind of recognize this the same as there was probably two bottles of rosé in a fridge instead of four shelves yeah true um, and the, and uh, you know, sparkling wines as well. You know, the range and diversity of sparkling wines, sort of just champagne and then cheap kind of Minchinbury or yeah, something from Seppel or yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, or passion, or passion pop, God forbid. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so, so you finished school in the UK and you were there um, for a few years after that. Um, finished school here. And, school here. and went to the UK in my, you know, from about 21 to about 26 or 7. Yeah, okay. So, and, and you're working over there doing yeah, yeah, anything yeah, in particular? Yeah. Or just a I typical? Was, uh, I was working in the IT field as a, as a computer consultant. Right, okay. Then. Was that something that you were interested in as a, as a teenager? Um, yeah, you know, I was, I was able to write sort of computer programs at, you know, 12 and 13 and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Just in good stead in later life. <laughs> I'm well, the IT department at one front. The, 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 the programming I remember learning at school, I can't remember if it was primary school or high school, was that one where you made a turtle, you, you had to program it to move in a certain way and, and there was a line that followed it. That's pretty much the only programming I think I learned at school. Yeah, I think we started with basic, you know, line 10, you are an arsehole. Line 20, <laughs> go to 10, print. And it went up and down the screen or something like that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, like, so you definitely relished um, being based in, uh, in the UK uh, and being exposed to uh, more diversity of wines. Yeah. Um, what, and you came back to... so. Presumably you had a, a, a British passport, um, yeah. which allowed you to be able to stay for more than that two-year period, which seems to be the norm. Um, what was yeah, it that the, brought you back? Um, I came back for my older brother's wedding um, and then um, met someone and decided to stay. Um, so whether in hindsight that was a a good decision or not is remains to be seen, but the outcome is no regrets, you know. no regrets. <laughs> no. Oh, there you go. No. Um, no. And did you continue in, as far as work, did you continue in that same field or did you? Yeah, so I, I started that. And then um, in the, in the early two um, thousands, I started um, getting what well, the sort of the trip to England was sort of, um, Oh, what's that fancy word? Seminal in um, making my um, interest in wine. Um, and then I got more and more interested. And, um, you know, I think 
I think to become very interested in wine, you have to have what I call sort of like the train spotters gene, where you just get fascinated and involved in something. And it's and it tends to be um, a trait that, you know, is, is, is sort of like, it's not borderline, well, it's obsessive for some, but it's borderline on that sort of, uh, you get very involved in things um, and very focused on these sort of things. So I then started writing um, about wine and, um, you know, writing a few things for a retailer back then called Wine Star and got involved in their panel. And on that panel was um, myself and uh, Tyson Stelzer was one of them. He, he had his start around at that point in time. Um, so we all sort of got sent wines for review. This is around 2002, three, four. And then I started um, my own website in about 2005 and, and on we went. So, so you transitioned from, you know, being a wine enthusiast to actually, um, you know, Writing. starting to actually to write. Um, and this was, this was just in your spare time, uh, like were you were yeah, still working? So basically when I was doing the, um, you know, people ask you know, sort of what it takes to be an amazingly powerful and influential wine critic such as myself. <laughs> um, and it, it's really hard work, persistence, hard work, persistence and a small amount of ability, which some would probably ready, readily agree with. But it's really, you know, I was working sort of full time and I even had children. So you'd, you'd work and then you'd write at night until taste wine until 11, 12 o'clock at night, you know, and just keep going and going and going for no money for ages. And I um, sort of became professional in, I think, 2008 with Campbell. But still, it was a supplementary income. Um, and it's and it's over the last number of years where it's become a profession as such. When you started to do um, writing for yourself, um, did you have any particular influences on on your kind of writing style, wine or otherwise? Um, oh, I've always I've always sort of liked writing, um, but I've always sort of been introduced. Sort of, kind of I like to be fairly colloquial to write like you might speak. So, you know, if you're describing wine in that sort of colloquial, sort of semi-chatty way. Sure. I think works works all right because, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of pretense and a lot of sort of stuff shirts, especially back in the day, you know, and it was, well, now I'm an old man myself, but mainly it was dominated by old men. Mm -hmm. um, and who, who were from the, that sort of Len Evans school. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, you know, like anyone else, I, I grew up reading and admiring Halliday and um, Hugh on Hook and all those sort of people were, were you know, very big influences on me. I also admired Parker for what he did for his, for his you know, unabashed consumerism and, and how he sort of was against the system, if you like, doing it his own way. So I enjoyed that, that element of things. Which is actually something that probably would blow people's mind is, you know, because Parker sort of became the system, but Parker became the kind of yeah. person you'd point your finger at and go, Oh, it's bad because of you sort of thing. But yeah. he, but he was doing the same thing in terms of changing. Like he didn't like the way things were, the, the way wine was communicated. And so he just started his own newsletter and, and found his own audience who yeah. followed him. Um, yeah. So 
you know, there's an element of that, certainly. Um, but I've always liked sort of to fuse a bit of comedy in there as well. And I write these ridiculous, long-winded, weird introductions to wines, just whatever pops into my head. And, you know, I, I just sometimes like to have a bit of fun with it. And, you know, I'm writing and I just, I just start laughing uproariously and, and my partner says oh my god he's written something that's amused himself and you know, <laughs> so on it goes but I mean that's the fun part to me communicating and, and having a bit of fun with it um so so you were doing some writing for sort of retail um in the form of like, like newsletters or like where, oh, there was kind of the medium back in the day when when it was a thing there was sort of like a, a forum and yeah for retail newsletters and things like that but um it was kind of independent. We were sent wines. There was no expectation of us to shill or, or, or write anything up. And there was never, there was never an expectation to say we need a good score on this, even though it was allied to a retailer. They did it just to, to, to increase some traction and um, get people involved in their website back in the day. I mean, this is 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and, and probably, you know, quite a smart move. Um, but, yeah. Well, I mean, you look at, like, Gary Vaynerchuk and what he did with was essentially his dad's business. Mm. And, you know, it was a fairly typical bricks and mortar kind of business. And they, and he sort of said, Oh, why can't we just put some content onto the website, get some more views and, you know, built this insane empire where he's now a, a huge um, consultant and, and mm. digital, you know, digital mark, marketer and, and motivational speaker and stuff like that. Um, I remember, when I was kind of starting into getting interested in wine and, and communicating, like there were forums, like mm. you'd go on and you'd ask a question about something or, you know, you'd get bullied you'd topic about something and, 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 you know, there'd be fairly consistent people, people on there and there'd be people that you fundamentally disagreed with. And some people mm. you kind of, you thought that, Oh yeah, they're, they're what they like. Oh, yeah, that's probably what I like too. It, it's so, it seems so long ago. I mean, it was a long time ago, but yeah. in well, the age of Twitter it, and Instagram, yeah, it's yeah. bizarre. <laughs> that was how people communicated. But um, I think even if you're, you know, annoying a bit like Vaynerchuk is sort of, but, you know, there's certainly a force of personality there. And I think what people are looking for is, is a little bit of entertainment, you know. If it's too dry and there's, by God, there's some dry people in wine, you know, oh, I rarely talk about wine when I go out, for example, because it's sort of like a, a bit worky and, and all that sort of gear. But my God, you know, everyone I think goes through that stage where they're a crashing wine bore and they start accumulating a bit of knowledge and start letting everyone know about it, especially males. And it's, and it's just, it, it's bloody tiresome. But um, yeah, and I think one of the things that, you know, my colleagues, Campbell and Mike do, and specifically Mike, is, is, is that they, they communicate well and there's enough for the high level and there's enough for, you know, beginners, you know, you, you, not talking down to people, but, you know, not talking up either, you know, trying to find that balance where you can cross between getting people enthusiastic about wine and not dumbing it down. And it's... Um, that's something, that's something I think we've all, you know, <clears throat> always struggled with in the, in the wine industry is either 
dumbing things down over generalizing, which can serve to confuse people, mm. confusing people the other way where they're being sort of too technical and too highbrow. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I've always responded better to people who sort of break things down as necessary, but not in a oversimplistic way. Yeah. It's like when you're talking about sulfides and bridging phenolics, you know, the consumer doesn't want that shit. No, there's no frame of reference for them. It, it no, means what the hell nothing. are they talking about? Yeah. And we're uh, all guilty of, of, yeah, of saying it, that we shouldn't. You know, like I use the word minerality quite a bit, open quotes. I was putting quotes and I would say minerality, it's like porn. You know what it is when you see it, but it's really hard to define. Yeah. So, you know, and, it, and it's hard to define. It's a, it's a washy word, but it's a word that we use. But there's, there's nothing else you can really say with that quality. You know, it, it, sometimes you just have to use things that are a bit esoteric and because, yeah. because minerality is something that is really only referred to with wine. You know, it's, you don't talk about minerality, whether it's an agricultural product or, in, or not, you know, minerality is not something that you necessarily. Mineral expect. water, perhaps. Well, yeah, there's that. That's probably have different flavors literally, <laughs> literally, absolutely. And you can say, you can see the difference in them as well, but you know, it's like Avian's creamy. Some yeah, I, I actually listened to, funnily enough, a comedy podcast um, ages ago. Uh, you know, because they make they made jokes about who, who drank more water, but they actually had a water sommelier on there. This German guy who um, works in a restaurant in, in LA. It would have to be German, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> oh. German or Scandinavian or something like that. <laughs> yeah, we're very precise about uh, the mineral content. Um. So did you, in, in, in those earlier days with your, with your writing, um, you know, when you started your own stuff as well, uh, mm. did you start to kind of get a bit of a, a, an audience or people kind of responding to yeah, your no, particular it, style? It, 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 it built up really well. And, you know, like I look back at some of my reviews from sort of 2005 and gee, that was shit. Um, and I, you know, I just, I leave them there, but I just want to rewrite them. <laughs> but uh, you know it's just like a, a steaming turd left from the past that you see and i'm looking at oh the syntax and you know uh, all the, the way you describe wine and it, it, it it's you leave them there because it's what was but yeah i mean it's a long process trying to be reasonably concise and now you know you see someone like mike who'll sit there and knock out speed typing you know, 20 reviews in God knows how many minutes, non-stop first draft, just straight off. And you get to the stage where, you know, you taste a wine now and you've written your review in one to two minutes, you know, you just go, that's me tapping, like, da -da 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 -da, and that's it, done, enter. Whereas 15 years ago, you might pour over it and, oh, oh. So it's interesting how you, how you come along. I sound like a wanker. The, the, you know? But no, look, at the end of the day, the reality is that there's just vastly more wine produced now than there was back then. You know, yeah. you know the, the, the number of large wineries to small wineries is very different. You know, there's a lot right. of small producers out there now and they're all hoping, you know, you guys do the right thing and we'll um, pretty much review everything you get a sample for. Mm -hmm. Like when one I of you will write it. Um, 
So the, the amount of the, the amount of wine, and you know, you're doing all the imports as well. So it's just it it, it it's mind boggling the amount of uh, of writing you would have to do. So well, yeah. we might get ten dozen in on a Monday morning, right? Yeah, Samples. yeah, yeah. Crazy. It's just insane. <laughs> so we have an assistant who you know bags them and puts them into Excel, and you know, I I, I pick up milk crates and go through those, but I also get you know, I try and do quite a lot of imports because I think no one in Australia really writes about imports or covers them the way that Winefront does. And I think that's of interest and a point of difference. I get that that's kind of, people make the argument that, you know, we should be promoting Australian wine. And, and there is also the element that Australian wine consumers generally do drink australian wine so it makes sense to some extent for them to be reviewing australian wines but there are still plenty of people and 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 funny funny you know like talking about melbourne restaurants sydney restaurants i'm I'm sure it's it's more likely that they might have at best 50 percent australian wine you know the rest is going to be imports there's a lot of imported wine that's coming in and going in you know into people's glasses so but you know the the rise and rise of say italian wine and things um is is very interesting to watch and you know around the the mid 2000s you know spanish wine was hot and that seems to have fallen off a cliff in terms of interest whereas italian wines on the rise and rise and i think it's had a kick on effect um to Australian wine as well, in that, that people are, are used to s- sort of like different styles. And a lot of Australian producers have, have said, well, we can do that, make that lighter, more drinkable style. We don't have to be afraid to make a wine that's reasonably low alcohol. And you know, I think it's pushed things along quite well in the evolution of Australian wine styles. So uh, I, I think that, you know, the amount of, yourself um, Australians traveling prime and, example your own ones yeah well you know like I I I kind of traveled and I responded really positively to Italian wines um and Tannin. and I thought good thing. <laughs> yeah look you know that that was something that I kind of felt was missing all too often with Australian wines um even made from the Italian varieties is that people weren't kind of thinking about texture as much you know, they're no. thinking about flavor and, and fruit, which to be honest, like we're in Australia, if you can't have that, then you're doing something fundamentally wrong. But I, I didn't understand why you couldn't have a wine that was both aromatic and textured, you mm. know, that was kind of fruit forward and have complexity. And, and, I, and I thought, look, Italian wines do this so well and mm. they're, incredibly drinkable but they have like a savory element they work well with food and and so i think it's great that there is a generation of wine makers and wine consumers who have had a bit more exposure to the diversity of styles you get out of europe um whether you know they've traveled in europe or they've worked vintages over there you know they are kind of bringing in new ideas so it, that and must also be exciting for, for, for you guys to sort of be yeah. able to see that happening. Skin contact whites, but the orthodoxy of Australian wine and, and it's certainly the critics thereof um, in, in prior decades and, and in recent memory have all been for, you know, 
fining and filtering and there's too much tannin, nothing a good, you know, indiscriminate fining might take, you know, tannin out of the wine and you get pinged for having too much tannin in a wine, which to me is not good. Tannin's good for you. Um, so, but, but there was a school of thought in Australia, especially with some of the senior wine critics, that, that too much tannin or too much of, you know, sort of extract in wine was, was punished for being inelegant or, you know, brutish or whatever. Yeah, or a haze with white wine, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or, or colour or, you know, cloudiness or all of this shit that they used to come up with, three points for colour. Give us a bloody break, you know. <laughs> And that was funny, actually, because, you know, when I, when I went through Adelaide Uni and we were taught about, you know, the way show judging works and they would say, yeah, I mean, there's three points uh, for sight, but I mean, a wine's got to be, have some problem with it if it doesn't get three points. It's like, well, if, let's be honest about how they, <laughs> you're actually judging that. If, you know, a lot of the wines now, like you say, would uh, probably be marked down for that, which is bonkers because it's not yeah. the way that wine's consumed. Nope. Um, exactly. So, so you you said um, you started your own thing. Was that like a, an online kind of thing? Yeah, that was called Winerama back in the day, and that was um, you know getting twenty thousand unique visitors, people, um, a month. So it had the benefit of being free. Sure. <laughs> um, well, People I mean, like I've, I've had a few people on who, you know, kind of did some for like Dave Brooks, for example, mm -hmm. you know, um, th this was kind of that, let's say, early to golden era of kind of blogging, uh, particularly wine blogging before the advent of, you know, the serious advent of Twitter and, and then Instagram, mm -hmm. um, uh, where you could just sort of, you know, you could break the rules, what, whatever rules there were. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but we, even then were you sort of predominantly just writing tasting notes or were you doing much long form stuff? No, it's always been tasting notes for me. I mean, you know, I have an eye on doing some long form at some stage, but I'm always so busy, um, doing things that I, it's one of those jobs that maybe once I started, something might happen, but, um, you know, I've always ha have an idea to do some long form. I mean, Campbell's the one who, you know, he's writing novels now, but back in the day, he used to write some beautiful long form articles. And, you know, we all kind of missed that Campbell. You could write some more long form articles. That'd be really good. It's just, is he, is he getting his novel published? Or it's, it's yeah, published? it's ready. It's coming out next year. So, you know, he, he's a writer, you know, I'm a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> the master of the one-liners so to speak yeah something like that um how did you actually meet campbell and and conceive of the the idea for the wine front which well, is still like know, one of the uh, longest running websites wine websites in australia yeah so you know i used to subscribe to campbell and, and pay my money and all that sort of thing because i admired him and i thought he was a terrific writer so what effectively happened is that you know i was i was running my own thing and he thought bloody hell he said, this bloke's cannibalizing my audience and, you know, cause it's all free. Um, and obviously, you know, I had a slightly better technology base and experience thereof, which we've sort of discussed. So we thought if we work together and 
um, you know, use my IT savvy and that sort of thing with his his um, uh, nous and writing ability that um, we basically, you know, well, he basically wanted to shut me up. And the, the way to do that is to join forces as such. So that's that's been a, a long and successful marriage between Campbell and myself. Um, and we don't see each other as much as we'd like, but um, it's been a very successful um, relationship built on mutual trust and respect and a handshake, basically, you know, not commercial agreements or anything else. So, what, Was it always the... The, the the format that the wine front took has that always sort of been the way it has been you know in terms of having an element behind a paywall having some elements accessible um, because i mean I, i'm pretty sure that wine front predates um jancis robinson doesn't it 2002 um it started so campbell used to publish um pdf documents to email subscribers and then he took it online but that was like thoroughly behind the paywall. And my idea was always to have the content there so that Google and all those things could reference your, you know, the, the wines were there, um, but have the concept that basically like the front page of our site is like a newspaper, you know, so we try and mix different wines in there and, and keep it moving every day so that when people, you know, log on to work in the morning and have a look, there's new content and, and content is everything. And, um, dynamism as soon as you don't have new things on there people stop coming um because it's static and they say oh well, you know what that's that's not doing anything so from day one i realized that content was everything and you had to keep things rolling over you had to keep things interesting so our format has worked well for us in that you can see what's there you can't necessarily read it but you can see what's there um and you can search on it and you know you can see everything rolling up day by day not just behind a paywall. So um, that's been a, a successful sort of stealth marketing sort of thing. No offense, but you guys sound a bit like drug dealers where the first taste's free, but you want some more. Yeah, well, we, we, um, we, we, everything these days is sort of like, we don't do anything free now because I, I put in some new subscription software, which is sort of like quite hard to make free for all. We can do it, but, um, yeah, it's, um, you can see what you're getting, but you can't, yeah. It's yeah, fascinating because that, that, that's, maybe. That, <laughs> I think when, when, you know, those early days, the people weren't necessarily getting all the information online. It was, it was a communication oh. tool, but people were still reading, you know, fairly typical, um, press like newspapers or watching yeah, the news on tv they oh. weren't necessarily now that is totally the norm particularly you know in the current climate um and and of course there is this huge debate and and um back in to and froing about um content mm. because people have become accustomed to getting access to mm. um you know journalism for free people uh, yeah. less and less wanting to pay for stuff and uh, you know I think it's fantastic that you guys kind of established that model so early on that um, you know and, and I think it is lucky that you guys did that because um, people know that it is such a, an incredible resource and 
you well, you do need to pay for the privilege of accessing the, the content. It's a living thing as well, you know, like um, we all, if people ask questions of us on, on a review or whatever, we, we, we answer, you know, there's over 200,000 comments on that site and we will all individually respond to people and answer questions, but also if someone's tasted the wine recently, they put their little notes up there and update it. And, you know, you've got this sort of living, sort of like Wikipedia-like thing of, of, you know, constantly refreshed content. Let's say, you know, how's this drinking? Someone will say, oh, I had this about six months ago, you know, even if it's a 10-year-old wine. So it, it, it keeps itself reinvigorating itself, if you like, which is a, a bit of a difference, that, that sense of community and, and input from our subscribers who are knowledgeable wine people. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm still amazed, particularly, you know, um, I noticed that when, when you are reviewing um, things like Barolo, um, and, and you know, you'll you'll talk about the the new vintage, um, and people will almost immediately start referring to previous vintages. And I had this, and da, da, da. is it anything like that? They, these are incredibly knowledgeable and dedicated wine consumers for both wine and wine content. You know, absolutely, and hopefully that's not intimidating for some. But you know, we're always affable and uh, welcoming. Um. At what point did uh, did you guys sort of say, look, you know, this is getting a bit too much for us. We probably, you know, should look at bringing some some more people in. Is that is that kind of how Mike came in, or was it like, yeah, we, again, or was it similar to Campbell, where you was like, look, he he's up and coming. We we want yeah. to take advantage of that, you know. Yeah, I, I, I met Mike in, oh, probably the late nineties, and I was very aware of him. And uh, I, I saw what a machine he is, you know, probably for me, maybe the most gifted taster and commentator in Australia in terms of the volume he can do and his knowledge and, and everything else. Um, I, don't, I don't say that with, um, in terms of nepotism, I, I actually believe that he's probably about, he's, he's a rare bird. Anyway, so in 2011, um, we took him on and that's been outstanding because you know he covers people seek him out all the all the small winemakers all the hip independent things yeah and the, the coverage of those things that don't get coverage elsewhere get an audience and exposure with us and i think that's a really potent thing for we i don't perceive that we're part of the wine industry as such i think we sit apart from it but I do think we do a job of bringing new producers and we assist in that respect in, in getting people exposure. I mean, a large part of our audience and traction is that, you know, most significant retailers are on that site. So that, that starts things rolling as well. Particularly, you know, those who are occupying a space online, like mm. the guys at Different Drop, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think it, you know, it's, it's fantastic that between the three of you and now four of you, yeah. you know, you're all coming from a different sort of um, yeah. perspective. You, you are kind of, it sounds like you're starting to kind of specialize a little bit more. And yeah. do you find that both um, on the 
the the audience's side of things, but also the wine producers or wine importer side of things that um, you guys have, you know, it's known what you guys might have sort of an affinity yeah. towards or what you, what you kind of like to write yeah, about, yeah. because I can speak personally, I quite intentionally sent, you know, certain wines to you knowing mm. that, you know, your, um, you, you do write a lot about Italian wines and I kind of really wanted to get your perspective um, on, on my wines to kind of see if you could kind of see where my influences were coming from as far as my, yeah. my yeah. Italian uh, varietal wines. There's an element of being typecast, of course, because we're all sort of jack of all trades, but certainly I've pushed my specialty subjects would be, you know, Barolo, Barbadesco, some Italian wine, you know, Margaret River, Hunter, that sort of thing. You know, I'm seen as being that sort of person um, by my own making, largely, because I really like Barbadesco and Barolo, so I'm happy to have all those come rolling. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've made a, a comfy little nest for myself in that respect. And yeah, certainly people people six probably come to me for those things and people come to Campbell for other things and people come to Mike for other things and with Curly, you know, that you know, we can all cover things, but there's certainly um a, a bit of a niche thing happening and I think that's probably quite important to with the amount of wine in the world to maybe specialize to a certain extent. I just think it's really interesting considering that, you know, with the recent, um, uh, with Wine Companion and James Halliday mm. stepping down as far as sort of running, running everything um, and Tyson stepping into that position, they've actually mm. started to delineate and say, look, we've, we've expanded the amount of contributors now. Obviously, like, like we were saying before, there's a lot more wine being produced or a lot sort of a lot more wines, should I say. Um, and and now they're kind of like in Victoria, Jane Faulkner's doing these regions, Jenny Port's yeah, doing these regions. I just think it's interesting, you know. I, I, I wondered because I, I wasn't sure if that was a deliberate thing with you guys or just something that happened over time. Oh, it's, it, it's it's an evolutionary thing, and you know that's the model that Venice and Wine Enthusiast and um, Parker sure. and all those things of course. have had. Yeah, and it, it's just a necessity with the with the volume of things, but also people kind of like topic experts to an extent. Um, so yeah, that that's, it, it, it's evolution, but semi-conscious, um, yeah. Um, it's like when Campbell and I did the Big Red Wine book, you know, I'd do West Australia and New South Wales, except in Canberra, and he'd do, you know, the other things, but that was largely because they're the regions I wanted to do. That's very, it's very magnanimous of him to allow you to, get the first dibs yeah well he was happy with victoria obviously being a you know from down that way being based there as well yeah and yeah. um uh, you know you've kind of seen the way that you know back in the day the wine front was to a certain extent a static entity you know people would kind of seek the, the website out but you know, we've touched on the the way social media has kind of grown. Um, how do you think, you know, things like Vivino and Delectable have kind of changed the way people are digesting wine? And because and, like you were saying before, people would comment and leave their own kind of yeah. um, experiences with the wine that you guys have reviewed. Um, I think it's 
I have mixed feelings about a lot of that. Um, I think when you get a wash of people um, who are obviously knowledgeable and some less so, what you get is an average and the average isn't possibly a good position to be um, because you sort of like smooth everything out and aggregate opinion and you get a sort of a blending of things, um, blending and blending if you like. So I, I like the concept of a vino where people, are, you know, recording their drinking experience and it's a good, um, you know, they're involved and, and it's furthering the love of wine in terms of the aggregation of people's scores and opinions. It's too much shaking things in a bag and you get a soup. But I don't know whether it's necessarily a great soup. I just wonder, you know, we've seen kind of the growth of things like TripAdvisor mm. um, and how the kind of the the format or the, the, the platform has been corrupted and yeah, now there's so much pushback on, you know, the industry, mm. whether it's, you know, restaurants or hotels or whatever the case may be. Mm. I do wonder if that is kind of something that might end up happening with, with wine as well. Yeah. And then, uh, I guess that if you go to a hotel and it's a shithole with cockroaches in there, everyone will have that same experience. However, if a wine's this sort of like disgusting bratty mess, some people might think that's delightful. Um, and, you know, a savoury terroir wine um, because it's taste, whereas I think it's a bit more empirical with TripAdvisor and things of that nature. And I think the with wine critics, you find who you like, and if you get a regular strike rate with them, you develop a, a trust of that person. And, you know, whenever I review a wine, I try and do my best because I try and think of someone spending 40 or $50 for their bottle of wine on Friday night. And, you know, fuck me, I really, it's important that they really enjoy it as best as I can ascertain. Yeah. Because they're spending their hard earned on it. And, and if you keep striking out, you lose trust and you're basically in the toilet after that. And like rating things too high, you know, this sort of madness of scoring things that are just ordinary wines at really big scores because there's politics or an arms race or all of these things that are, are not coming from a place maybe of good intent um, come into play. Uh, so I think one of the things that we do do on, on this site is that people understand Campbell's taste, you know, for like kind of overtly whole bunchy pinos. Um, you know, <laughs> he really likes that sort of gear and people, you know, can understand that he likes certain things and Mike likes certain things. And I, to a certain extent, you try to be objective, you know, there are, there are ones that I don't like that I can score highly because I admire what they are, but I wouldn't drink them. But as long as you describe them and look at the quality and, and, and do that faithfully, I think that's kind of important. Uh, it's interesting that, um, you know, again, in the, over the time that the wine front has been in existence, 
we have seen, unfortunately, the the amount of um, column inches dedicated to wine writing just you know starting to disappear, and mm. you know publications dedicated to to wine you know mm. sort of starting to 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 shut up shop. Um, you guys would have seen a, a reasonable amount of interest for content online. Has that changed much this year in in light of COVID nineteen? Um, we're 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 doing well. Um, we, we've been a um, a benefactor to an extent. Uh, we, we discussed earlier um, offline that 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 people are perhaps eating at home more, so their discretionary spend goes towards um, retail and buying wines, which is of benefit to us. Um, so that spend in you know buying wine in restaurants has moved to somewhere else. Um, um, so people are perhaps wanting to have a bit more informed purchasing. And of course, there's the people who are just buying you know cases of eight dollar Sauvignon Blanc from Dan's or whatever else, and that's fine as well. You know, you drink what you enjoy. Um, but at, at that slightly higher end, because people won't pay for a subscription to a wine site. Um, unless they're actually interested in wine, mm. um, it sort of it sort of limits people out of that market. Um, so, so you get the people who are actually keen on finding new things, or you know, new producers, or exploring imported wines, or whatever else. And and once you build up a bit of trust, I think that that that's worked quite well. So, we've done all right out of that. So do you think it, it, it's, it's um, partly to do with people who would normally be going to wine bars or restaurants and maybe have the opportunity to have something by the glass and try something or to mm, talk with a yeah, sommelier absolutely. and kind of have the context yeah. of having it with a meal sort of thing? They yeah. are then kind of saying, look, you know, we want to keep drinking in that mm. way, but we can't, you know, we're not physically able to. Yeah, to taste these so, wines and even retail-wise, especially down here in Melbourne, you know, we're limited to five kilometres officially. Yeah. Um, so, so people are potentially to, it, to an extent, yeah, looking for yeah. that endorsement. Um, and and are you noticing that there's a bit of an upswing in particular types of wine, like for example, imported wines? People are looking for reviews. Uh, I think that's certainly booming, but. Um, it's kind of hard for me to say. I'm, I'm ashamedly probably quite removed from the average person's experience of wine. I don't say that um, to to big note myself. I say it's just as a function of what we do. Um, there's just bloody, you know, we just not take it for granted, but but we're so awash with endless wines coming in that 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 we see wines probably in a slightly different way we all buy wine but um we have a we have a very different life to the average wine consumer and campbell will be the first to tell me that i lack a grasp on reality at whiles um but you do what you do mike's in the crowd a lot more so he, he might have a better feel for it but you know i'm a bit you know a bit ivory tower perhaps but we do our best <laughs> no i think um 
you know, what you guys have been doing, um, you know, as long as you have been doing it, um, it, it is really fantastic. And, I, you know, the, the format, you know, I think putting value in, um, in having a, a, an experienced, um, you know, experienced wine um, taster who can then communicate that in an effective way is invaluable, but then allowing people to interact as well is such yeah, a... Yeah, we're trying to build a community effectively. Yeah. Um, and that's always been important. And I think it's a, it's a key differentiator that we we engage, ask questions. And, and if someone says, geez, you got this one wrong, this is bloody awful. And I said, okay, yeah, you know, what is it? And we, we don't, we don't take it personally. We, we just, we just comment and do as we will. And it, and it keeps you honest and it's quite a nice thing. Um, you're like referees. You, you, you call it as you see it. Customers. Yeah. So. Um, well, look, you know, I, I certainly for my part have, uh, very much appreciated, um, you know, the, the really fantastic feedback I got on my wines. Um, you know, you were one of the people that I first thought of to, to sort of to send my wines to, and it's been great for you and Campbell, um, because I've, I thought that you guys would kind of knowing kind of where I've come from, you could kind of see what I was going for. And, um, and I think that that's really fantastic for, for now the four of you to be able to kind of have a slightly more reasoned approach to um, assessing the wines. I think um, you get intent when you taste a wine anyway, you know, like w when you taste a lot of wine, you sort of get the intent behind it. If it, and, and maybe that takes a little while, but you sort of immediately have a feel for what they're trying to do produces variously, you know, mm. so if someone sends a eight gram residual sugar rosé, that's a Celador special, you know, a tire kicker special, that's for the buses. Um, maybe not for us, but you just comment on it as you will. But, you know, then there's also other things, you know, people are trying to push boundaries and whatever else. And you sort of, yeah, you sort of see, see what's trying to happen there. In a way, you're, you're kind of like theatre critics. Because I, yeah. you know, I, I saw the intent and it was a valiant <laughs> effort, but um, man, I just don't think, you know, Shakespeare in the context of hip hop was just right. Yeah. But, you know, there's also that thing where you, you never want to tell someone their children are ugly, you know? It, it's always, you always have a, a, an element of empathy. Um, I don't know. I, I think you, you might want to, but you again. just don't because it's a polite company. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'm, 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 I'm a little bit direct at whilst, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, look, Gary, it's, uh, it's been fantastic to, to be able to catch up with you. Thank you very much for making time. Um, I'm right now, quickly. I love to hear myself talking. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, would you be able to share um, relevant social media accounts, particularly the brand new Instagram account for the wine front? Yeah, well, uh, Instagram for wine fronts, winefront.com.au, because some joker in England's got the wine front called the front wine with one post there. So happy days there. Uh, Twitter, I rarely use um, anymore. And that's, that's, that's probably it. We've got a wine front 
Facebook page, which is very neglected. I see Instagram as a, a nicer thing because, you know, Facebook, you get too much bullshit and people's politics and whatever else, whereas Instagram's a bit more light on, it, on that sort of thing. It, it is kind of like, I, I remember when I started to kind of think about using Instagram as a, a form of communication for business reasons, um, I kind of found it frustrating that it didn't have links. I think it's actually kind yeah, of a good hard. thing. Yeah. I think yeah, it's actually yeah. kind of a good thing because, you know, people are just looking at that and if they're interested, yeah. they will, they will have to have to do something else to kind of seek it out. Whereas Facebook and, and Twitter, it's just a cacophony of links to other mm. shit. You know, people trying to yeah. sell you something. Yeah. And angry people. Yeah. <laughs> Too many of those. Instagram's just nice, pretty pictures. That's right. That's what we um, like. But absolutely, I would recommend everyone um, check out winefront.com.au uh, and uh, definitely get a subscription, uh, if only for the ability to, to, to comment because, it, you, you know, there, there are some really lively debates that go on there um, and, and generally pretty informed so, and, and funny as well. Um, I, I hope you don't mind me kind of calling you out on Instagram saying, you know, the first post, we know exactly who's written that. <laughs> Yeah, we have our own little styles, don't we? Um, Gary, thank you very much. Thank you very much and um, I look forward to hopefully um, catching up with you at some point when we right. are allowed to. Yeah, good luck for everyone in Melbourne. Sorry for posting things of me having beers at pubs and stuff. All right, we'll survive. You still yeah. have to live in Sydney. Yeah, <laughs> greatest city in Australia. And as always, thank you very much for listening to another episode of the Vincast. I have been James Gasbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. Um, you can follow me on social media at Intrepid Wino on Instagram and um, Twitter and also Facebook. Um, but, uh, you know, I would really, really appreciate your support in my endeavors as a wine producer, vinointrepido.com, at vinointrepido on all the various social media platforms. Um, if you are not aware, I um, have really, really enjoyed over the, the last five or six years making wines from Italian grape varieties, something that I'm very passionate about. And uh, I'm just about to start releasing some of the 2021 wines could not be more excited about that. I really, really have been thrilled with their quality and the the, the kind of the, the diversity that I've got at the moment. So uh, please do check those out. Um, if you do enjoy this episode, uh, please feel free to um, look back on the uh, 150 plus episodes that I have released of the show. Uh, you can find the podcast on various um, podcast um, outlets, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podbean. Uh, I think it's on Amazon Music now. It's on Spotify. Uh, and yeah, if if people still do this, please leave a rating and a review. Or do you know what? Just tell someone that you know about the podcast. Tell them to have a listen. Um, you know, I've had some really, really amazing guests. You know, I sometimes pinch myself at the quality of guests that I've been able to have on the show in the past. Uh, God, it's um, 
approaching eight years now that I uh, actually have been doing the show. So uh, I'm really blessed and it's just a privilege to be able to talk about wine in some form or another. Uh, but guys, uh, until hopefully I release a new episode soon, I'll uh, yeah, see you next time. Bye.